Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister in the Church of God Cleveland Movement. And once again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today called Where Are We Going? It's a podcast we've created where we explore some hard questions about the deceptive and destructive power wielded by cultism and abusive churches all around us. We've also beheld our world's cultural and geopolitical dysfunction so catastrophically in the past few years that it's led us to ask the question about just where we are going as well, because it's a question that so many people have in their lips and minds as well. Um, so this podcast is really one of the services of Spearwatch Ministries attempting to answer that. It's an outreach of discernment in our deceptive world that has been ongoing since 1993. You can learn more about us at our website, spearwatch.org, and keep up to date using our Facebook and YouTube links there on the page as well. We're always seeking new audiences, and we'd appreciate the help spreading the word around your internet community about our podcast. We're now found on Spotify, Google, and Amazon podcast channels, and if you're here visiting, thanks so much. Please bookmark us, and please come back again. We premiere our podcasts on midnight on Wednesdays and midnight on Saturdays. So we're trying to continue our output of two podcasts a week. I wish we had time to do this daily, but we don't. So we're doing what we can, and we're hoping that the effort and that the sharing offer provides a ministry to you as well. Our podcast today features the testimony of Samantha, a survivor of the Gladstone Movement located in Ohio which is essentially a communal cult that has successfully enjoyed a parasitical career drawing people, resources, and goodwill from far too many unsuspecting churches and ministries for almost 20 years. Led by the quirkily charismatic and pretensive prophetic figure Zach Kaczynski, Gladstone was once a place where the power of love energized a community of people to live and serve God. Sadly, that has all tragically changed as the love of power that Kaczynski and his elders are caught up in now has transformed into an abusive, controlling place. Multiple testimonies exist on this, some of which we've presented to you here in the podcast. Samantha came forward to offer her own insights after three years of involvement with the movement. What you're going to hear today is shocking and infuriating, and it should be. No real Christian church is abusively controlled the way Gladstone is. And fair warning, some of what you're about to hear is potentially quite triggering for abuse victims, so be advised. There is no beauty in this account save the truth that Samantha offers it in, and we're glad to offer a space and time here to make her testimony. We want to welcome Samantha to our podcast today. And uh, Samantha, thanks for coming to our virtual uh, studio here at Spearwatch Ministries, where, where everything looks great because it's what you wanted and it's because it was in your mind, not mine. So, <laughs> so <laughs> virtual studios can be decorated any way you want to. I've always wanted to, to get to develop one, uh, but uh, our budgets are always a little low. 
But uh, virtual studios are pretty cool. Uh, I, I appreciate having my pet cat up here again with me, and uh, he's just sitting there purring in the corner, and and uh, he's been dead 20 years. So <laughs> <laughs> the virtual studios are cool. You can do a lot of things there. So, uh, but, uh, but thanks for coming. Right? We're having a little fun with this. But uh, thank you for taking the time today to, to be with us and to, and to share uh, from part of your own your own story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been really great just to even get connected to you and to listen to your podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to get to share too. Well, thanks, Samantha. I appreciate that. And I, and how, how do you, how do you view the podcast? How, how are they helping people? I, I, I feel like sometimes I, I hear a lot, of, I hear a lot of people saying that, yeah, that, that, that's good. That's great. But you know, how, how do they specifically help people? I think specifically, you know, what's been encouraging to me, and I hope anybody, if they get to hear it, if they're inside Gladstone or any any kind of cult, um, that they can hear, you know, their friends, the people that are, are just like them. You know, that's what's spoken to me so big is that it's these are the people I know, and, and I've, I've been through it personally, so I, I can say, wow, like, that is real. That's what I felt, and it can help bring some identity to it, and I, I'm hopeful that it does that, even for just one person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we were talking right before we started mm-hmm. there. That, you know, in any interview I've done with survivors, uh, we do in such a way that, uh, I, I, I do, I, I do strive to let people tell their own story. I only ask enough questions mm-hmm. to move the narrative along. I may have a little commentary here and there, but that's the power of these things. It's, it's, these are, these are your, your words mm-hmm. and, and your story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm grateful that we've had a chance to be able to actually look into that story. And mm-hmm. be able to look at it from that perspective, because to me, that's that's where it all comes down to. That's where the truth of the matter really lies. So, so mm-hmm. how did you get in? So, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, uh, uh, how did you? Where, where were you at in life when uh, you, you came across uh, came across Gladstone, and and what was going on in your life that uh, that got you involved? Yep. So I was 20 when I um, got involved with Cloudstone and moved in. Um, I'm now 25. So at the time, I was I was would say I was probably in my lowest point. I was struggling a lot. I was going to um, college at UC, um, University of Cincinnati, and I was studying journalism. Um, I was struggling a lot with just depression. I I think adulthood was a tough transition for me. So I had um, a pretty close friend of mine who was going to church there, staying there, but she wasn't fully in yet, um, and she started bringing me. Um, I had not followed God or Jesus before. I had no really um, understanding of the Bible. I had never put myself into religion at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, somebody where I was really low, it seemed like such an incredible thing. And, you know, the Bible and Jesus still are, but she would bring me to church and I would see a lot of young people having a really good time. And that was something that just really grabbed me. And I wanted to be in it so badly. I just wanted, like, that's all I thought about after maybe my second visit, I was just totally in. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So they offered that, that sense of community of belonging of there's there's an energy. There's an energy about that was just very, very compelling. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. Everybody looked so happy. And again, like people my age, a little bit older than me, you know, no one was really much older than 30 for the majority. 
And they were having so much fun all the time. They were, you know, going out, doing events. They, I would watch people filled with passion to worship God. And I didn't even understand that yet. Like what, what is making them so passionate? Why are they so excited? Um, and the other thing was that the moment I walked through the doors of that church building, I mean, I, the word love bomb really fits. I've never had so many people approach me in one evening, taking an interest in me, taking an interest in my life, wanting to know who I was, what I, what I was going to do. I've never received that. And so that night, I remember it so clear. I had several different women who later down the road became my best friends who I would live with. Um, and they just pursued me. They wanted to know who I was and they wanted to know my story. And it was a level of care I just hadn't felt before. I hadn't felt that from my friends at school and I hadn't really felt that much from my family. So I, I really wanted that. Wow. I'm sad to hear that. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. sad to hear that world, the world and life can be so cold and be Mm -hmm. so distant and put you, uh, and put you in, in a position where, uh, you know, you feel starved for that, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's the old classic un, unpsychologically uh, sophisticated term of, of the love tank, you know, uh, everyone has a love tank and it needs to get filled some way. Uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of a clumsy way to say it, but it's really just saying human beings, we need that. We, we need to be, to be around people that have positive regard for us, that care for us. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And and you just you just felt that all that intense and in, in, all the intense uh, interaction uh, just just seemed so real. Uh huh. Yep. And I and I think some of it was real. You know, people have said there there are people that are there that are genuinely filled with love and they want to honor God. They're just yeah. they don't have the correct leadership, and it, it's sad. But that was the first time. I still say it to this day. Like. I've never experienced love the way I felt it in community. Um, it was just this, it was this unit. We were all together. We were all on the same page, it felt. And so, yeah. and I, I desperately wanted that unity, especially, yeah. again, I was 20. I was very, like, very young trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so it seemed like a really good way also to just take a break. Um, let me just go to this place and work for them. I don't have to worry about my money. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Right. It is good. It is good to feel secure. I mean, because mm-hmm. like you said, it's yeah. it's tough for for you. And and I think a lot of young men and women your uh, your that were your age then certainly feel that now that they want to live a life apart. But making that transition from from adulthood mm-hmm. is, is extremely difficult. And and and, mm-hmm. and you find a place to live, work, find friends. Uh, do something meaningful with yourself, uh, and seeing all the uncertainties of life all around us. Uh, those, mm-hmm. those are very, those are realities that are very daunting. And, uh, to, uh, to young men and women who are understandably quite concerned, even frightened about, about that, that, that kind of security you, you found mm-hmm. really, really made a connection with you because it, because it, it seems mm-hmm. so tied into what seemed, what seeming was a very biblical, sense of community there mm-hmm. and it was definitely again the most vulnerable position I've ever been in my life um, I don't think I knew it at the time because I think for a while I'd felt like I was fighting but now I can look back and just see how how vulnerable and, and nervous I was 
just to be anywhere. So just finding people that could just like take you in, embrace you exactly as you were. Um, this, I think part of it at the time when I was first attending, like just going to church services, getting to know the people, um, that was about a two month period before I actually moved in. Mm -hmm. I did not know what moving in would, would cost. Um, what year that was wasn't that, clear. Uh, that wasn't up I'm sorry. Did I interrupt? What, what year was that when you when you first started this? Yep. Yep. That would have been 2017. Okay. Um, it was spring when I started started attending, and then okay. I moved in in July of 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's when you started. And what were you doing there? I mean, once you got there, what? Once you got, let me ask you this: When you're asked, or when you're whether whether you're asked or not, what's the draw? Uh, other than the security issues, what's the draw of living communally with a bunch of people who apparently are going to be supportive of you? What was what was behind all the real sense of, of being drawn to that? Yeah, I mean, I know not everybody is designed the same way and what they like, but I am very extroverted and I'm, I have a lot of energy. And I love, I, I can't stand to be alone. Like if I could never be alone, I wouldn't. Um and so the, that was a big part of it. Like, wow, I can just be with my best friends and live with them. That would be amazing. Like, I never have to deal with the loneliness or anything. I'm always going to have a support system. I'm always going to have people that want to hang out, want to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody with, like, a very, like, high energy, high extroverted personality, like, that was just like, this is perfect. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what I want. Yeah. And it worked for you. For, uh, I think you were there, with three years? Uh, four yep, years? three, just a little over three. Um, yeah, it would have been three years and maybe a month or so. Um, and my, you know, again, when I first moved in, so when I, when I started attending, I had an iPhone, I had my car, I had my own money, you know, and all of that. And I didn't know yet everything that I was going to have to give up. I knew they lived in common purse. And for me, that didn't raise any flags, maybe because I just didn't have a lot of money. So I just didn't see an issue at the time. Um, and, but I, I didn't know it basically once I got there, um, that's when they shared like, Hey, we're going to take your phone for 30 days and we're going to take your car for 30 days. We're going to take your laptop for 30 days. And they framed it like it would be this, um, isolated time frame. And that basically just focus on God, get away the distractions. And they made it sound like I would get those things back. And for me, I don't, I, that was pretty standard for people that had a history of drug abuse or, I mean, I would say that's primarily any kind of substance abuse. They, they'll take your phone, they'll take your ability to drive, and then you have what they call restrictions. Mm. Um, and for me, I don't have those histories to begin with. So I never, and I still don't understand why that's what was put like that was the frame that was put around me um but i essentially was a lazarus ministry guest without having to detox so um you know after my 30 days passed i remember asking oh when do i get a phone again when do i get to talk to my family whenever i want when do i get to have those things that still seem normal and that you know to me never seemed like something i actually had to give up to know jesus um And I remember for a little while, they just kind of left it open-ended, like, oh, well, we'll talk about that later. Um, We'll revisit that later. And then eventually, as time went on, I think I just realized it wasn't going to happen, but I I stopped caring. I got, you know, I kind of forgot that I even missed having an iPhone or anything at all. Um, But that, and I didn't realize it at the time, 
but that completely took away my ability to talk to my friends or family or see them um, as a whole. I could not just go drive to my mom and tell her what was going on or what it was like. I couldn't tell my friends. It gave nobody an opportunity to speak to me like the red flags that they were seeing. And there was pretty immediate red flags. I mean, I was instantly isolated. Um, my friends will say that they, it felt like I died. Um, I had to delete all of my social media. I just didn't exist to the outside world anymore is how it, it, it appeared to a lot of people. And that was yeah. really scary for a lot of people. Right. But of course you didn't see it that way because you had this, I mean, and I, I, I don't mean this in a mocking way, but you had the stars in your eyes. You felt mm-hmm. like this was home. This, this is where, this is where I'm safe. I'm secure. Uh, they would never mistreat me. They were, they're, they're here only for my best interest. These are my friends. These are my new friends. These are people I'm living with. So mm-hmm. giving up a little bit of that liberty. It, it didn't matter to you. You you were there in a place that 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 was meeting uh, that deeper need of wanting to be around family and that or for, for, for people that were like family and 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 your new friends. And uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but for those on the outside, obviously that's obviously a very concerning thing when you're suddenly cut off from people and unable, as you said, to maybe offer any questions or get a third party's uh, objective viewpoint. You just voluntarily went into that, and 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 so many people in their community have done the exact same thing. They they had that same trust, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I'm not sure. I mean, again, the people there are like very they're charismatic. They're they have great personalities. They're attractive. Like it's it's perfect to draw people in, especially young people who are vulnerable and lost. You know, I think that's why they do target the drug addicted and the mentally ill. I was someone deeply struggling with my mental health and it seemed like a perfect, perfect opportunity to, to get somebody to join. Um, and I don't think it's happening consciously all the time. I don't think the people that are routine evangelists are thinking like, Oh, this person is vulnerable. Let me get them. But that's what's happening. And that's what the leadership is leading. They're the ones deciding and, and guiding where people are going or who should, who should we pursue? What types of people should we pursue? That all comes from the leadership. Right, right. So when they do that, when they actually enter into these times of encounter and ministry, there is a, a some some concerted effort to look for people who who display those characteristics, who display those mm-hmm. woundednesses, and and then and that's how uh, they begin to love on them, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and start exactly. to really show people that uh, hey, we you know we we are for real. We really care about you, and mm-hmm. then. Um, uh, when they, when they do that though, they of course really uh, seem like to people who are struggling that uh, having as ha- having been the fulfillment of a dream come true. So in the midst of your love bomb time, when you got to know, uh, how did they find out that you were you were having you know some sort of uh, issues related to uh, your 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 mental challenges? I mean, did, was that something you conveyed to them or they yeah. picked up on? So I only conveyed it to very specific individuals, all of which were just the close women. So yeah. um, I had a house pastor named Brianna. She knew about my my history with my depression and my struggles. Um, Christy at the time, she was there too, and we I, I shared with her. Um, but it, I wasn't open to the community. It was those specific individuals. Um, and so part of me moving in was that, hey, we're going to keep you in therapy. I was in therapy. I had my own therapist. And I said, yes, we want to keep you in therapy. That's a good thing. And that made me trust them even more. Um, 
So they, they signed let me on go to, to my going... therapist. What was that? I'm sorry, I meant to ask. So they signed off on you going to get professional, continuing professional therapy, even as you were being yes. drawn into and being assimilated in the community. Yes, but here was the catch: was that they they let me see my therapist one more time, and then I remember I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but Brianna brought up to me like do you think that she's really a good fit? Do you think that she can, and I've been going to her for years and, and I go to her now. She's a really good therapist, but they basically convinced me to start going to David Barr um, because he was Christian based and I needed a Christian based therapist. And my therapist is just more on the clinical side. She, she isn't anything to do with any kind of religion. Her practice is just based on her clinical knowledge. Right. Um, so I got to see her one more time. And that one time that I got to see her, Brianna had to come with me. Um, I wasn't allowed to go alone. And I basically, I had to, it felt like I broke up with her almost. It, it hurt really badly because it wasn't my decision. And it, she was so confused. She's like, wait, like I've been seeing you for years. What do you mean? Um, and I just told her I was ready to move on. And I started going to David Barr and I would continue to see him for at least two more years very yeah, regularly. Ex explain who David Barr is. Who is he to the, to the community? Yep. So he um, is, is essentially one of the, I believe he's the only outside therapist that they'll use. Um, in the three years I was there, when I, the first year or so that I was there, he, we were only using really outside counseling, which was primarily David Barr. They've since trained other people or had them get certified. Um, I think there's at least two people, maybe more at this point that, um, were performing internal counseling. So it's, you know, it, it's one person is doing it for the women. One was doing it for the men. I think they might have two for the women now. Um, so they train their own people. Um, since then, I don't, I know that one of the women, she, I know she got a certificate. I don't think she's had any formal college. Um, I know that there's one woman, she is in her, she's in her program to get her degree in psychiatry. And I believe they're probably going to try to use her for medication purposes. Um, so now they have the counseling side and they have the psychiatric side. They can do both. Okay. Um, once she graduates, they'll have that. So there's a developed group of counselors within Gladstone uh -huh. who are supposedly meant to help people with their mental health issues. But none, yeah, of them, very, none, of them, none of them are degreed. Not that I know of. No, um, I'm I'm certain that I'm positive actually that they don't have a degree. Maybe I only believe one of them is certified, but you know maybe that's changed since I left. It's been about two years, but at the time only one of them had like a certificate. She was taking some classes. Hmm. It wasn't hmm. any kind of formal training, and nevertheless, we're not meant to to be a therapist to our close friends and family that right. takes away the point of therapy where it's supposed to be an outside source that can speak into your life without knowing your life without right. being in it. You know, that's the whole point is that it's somebody who can't be impacted, who can't go and tell your mom who, you know, they have to be a trustworthy source that is independent of your life. It's not right. appropriate to have any outside relationship with your therapist. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a principle of objectivity. And, 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 and boundaries, basically, you know, anybody in, in, in the counseling, I mean, I'm not a therapist and we discussed that in our past, in our past, uh, um, uh, podcast with Naomi, uh, of being bold ministries. Uh, 
Now she is licensed, and 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 she and she has the ability uh, to to provide offer to offer professional therapy. I don't. I provide biblical counseling and pastoral care, but but there's one principle overriding all of that is that is that is the very thing we're talking about. Uh, you stand apart from people. You come alongside them to provide uh, pastoral care, soul care, as it was called at one time, a long time ago. You, you, you come alongside to help people, but at the same time, at, at the at the end of the day, whatever is said in a room, uh, I mean, my, my, my office is set up uh, can, and, and can be a place where people can get counseled, but at the end of the day, uh, what goes on in this room stays in this room. And 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 when I leave, when I leave my my office, uh, I close the door and walk away. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't affect my life. It's not involved. It's not a part of my life at all. It's there's an objectivity in counseling that one should have. And uh, mm-hmm. and and I would hope David Barr would have understood that, but apparently, from what I'm hearing from all accounts, and yours is just a, another one, is that that's not what the case was at all, was it? Not at all. And I had so every single appointment I went to, um, I had to have somebody with me, and it was always someone in leadership. So when I lived at a house cool. called the Branch, um, all of the houses have different names. I lived at a house called the Branch, and my house pastor there, she would go with me. And then after about a year and a half, I was moved to a new house called the Magdalene, and my house pastor there would go with me. So I always had one of those two with me. And I can tell you genuinely, I don't recall ever signing a medical release. I don't recall ever signing any kind of paperwork saying legally that they can have access to being in my therapy. And anytime I'd ever had anyone else come with me to therapy, you know, in the past I had maybe my mom attend a session or um, maybe a partner. And we always had to sign paperwork stating that they were, they were allowed to be in that appointment. And mm. I did not, I don't recall ever signing anything to allow them in my, yeah. in my appointments. It was just assumed off the bat, like we're coming with you. And he never and, said anything. No, nope. He seemed very overall supportive of the community. Um, I wouldn't say my time in his counseling was necessarily bad in the sense of therapy. Like he helped me in certain things, but it was never what it could have been if I had had time to, you know, I had really severe anxiety and community because of just the structure, the way that um, you feel like you were constantly doing something wrong. And I never had the ability to openly talk about those things. Um, And I couldn't because my leadership was with me. I can't, I can't speak against leadership. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't go against leadership. Yeah. There's no room for that there. Right. So in the course of your time, and I'm, 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 I want to be sensitive to this, but I don't, I don't want you to say anything you don't, you don't feel sensitive in sharing or or comfortable Mm -hmm. in sharing. Uh, In the course of your conversations with David Barr as a therapist, a supposedly professional therapist, he had people there listening in on everything you say. And, Mm -hmm. and I really don't see how you could feel free to be yourself before people that that could have been part of of the problem you really can't i remember very distinctly i always had to have my eyes shut during his sessions it felt like that was the only way i could really like feel like i was actually in therapy which sounds kind of weird but i it's the only way i could shut out what was around me is that i couldn't even i didn't even want a male therapist with 
I have a history of trauma with sexual abuse. I did not want a male therapist, and that wasn't an option for me. So it was hard for me to even look at him and see that it was a man telling me because just my history that it was triggering for me. It was hard. Um, And, yeah, no, there's no way to really be totally candid in yourself when you have your roommates with you, your leadership, people that are in power over you, especially because I know everything that I've ever shared in that office was reported back to the elders. Yeah. How did you know that? I don't think at first I I knew. And then eventually with different conversations, they just knew things about me that I'd never shared. You know, it wasn't a surprise to them when I shared that I was sexually abused. There was no surprise to that. They already knew. Um, I don't think I was ever explicitly told, yeah, we tell everything to David or sorry, to the elders. Um, But I, there was at one point I had a medication change and this is when I realized things were not fully what, what I thought. Um, I had to fill out a mood chart, which I didn't mind doing. I was having a medicine change and they wanted to track it. But I had to send all of my medication changes and all of my mood charts directly to Zach, um, who was not really involved in my personal life and community. He was an elder. We had I knew him. We talked a lot. He was in the church building. I was in the church building. But. He wasn't involved in my direct life. I never shared anything with him. I wouldn't go to him for counsel, mm-hmm. at least not often, if yeah. ever. Why, why, why did this all this personal information needed to be routed through him? Did you ever? I mean, did, did you ever ask that question? It, it, I never just, asked. It was just assumed yeah, to be I, a norm, was it? Yeah, I never asked. I think the culture there um, is very obedient, and it's almost just at that point. It, I I just think that Zach, it's assumed that Zach gets to know um, the, just the way the culture is set up. You just kind of feel it and you know that he knows everything about everybody. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he, he reads everybody's uh, psychological profiles and reports. Yep. yep. Incredible. And, and, and if he's reading them, it's it's a bet that other people's are as well. I mean, and, and that's what you've been sharing. People knew things mm-hmm. about you. I mean, I would I would find it extremely uh, upsetting to know that uh, my, a coworker found out that I had had a problem, uh, an emotional problem, or a personal struggle, and they just brought it up while I was sitting around around talking, you know, and just bring it very very loosely. That would be extremely um, uh, violating to me personally. But but that's actually the way it is at at that place at Gladstone, where where people, from what I understand, who are counseled by David Barr and others, um, that that they are fully expected to be a, just become an open book and someone that can be that be looked on and and, and as someone that, who has issues that we're going to be shepherding them through. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a moment in, in which uh, I think you were sharing um, with Zach about your struggles in an area. And then, uh, and then the, there was a moment in which I think he brought that very crystal clear to you at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you care to comment on that? Um, I don't know if I have much to say on it. Um, I can say in the beginning of me being there, I had, and I've others have said the same that I've talked to that are now out. When I first encountered Zach, um, I can't describe it other than I had an icky feeling about him. He made me uncomfortable. I didn't trust him. I didn't want to talk to him. And I don't know when that changed. And I wish I could. I have no idea 
what changed me. But at some point, I just, I thought he was the greatest thing in the world. He just, he convinced me. Um, I started to see just his personality and, and I loved it. And I just like, I just trusted him. So I think there, there was a lot of things. Even at the time I saw like, oh, Zach knows everything. And I don't even know if at the time I, I was super, um, alert, alarmed by it. I just trusted him so deeply. Right. And he seemed to care about everybody. He seemed to care about, about, uh, you. And he, I think he shared enough, uh, with you about, and mm-hmm. others about things that uh, he just made everybody seem, uh, like, like he was right there with me. He, he understood them. Mm-hmm. Yep, he always made it seem like if you needed, his office was right there. Um, I know a lot of different women would go to him for counsel. Um, I didn't often. I can remember maybe one time where I did, where I was really frustrated with somebody. And he very candidly said, like, yeah, they are those things. They are really difficult. They're they're a problem, and you just need to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And just kind of and, – and I don't even know if that was appropriate. You know, I think that he – he has a lot of knowledge and it, and it it's just sad he uses it whenever he wants to. He can use it to gossip if he wants to, but if he's doing it, it doesn't seem so wrong. You know, there's things that he would say at times um where I knew if I did it, it would be wrong. I would I could have gotten rebuked or corrected, but if he did it, it was somehow acceptable. Yeah. Even down to cussing, you know. Yeah. The community is a very um just very sheltered and protected. There's not there's not cursing, there's not profanity, there's not inappropriate movies. It's very um, clean in that way. So I hear Zach say a cuss word, and I'm like, wow, he, he just said like a cuss word. I, I can't do that. I'm not allowed. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and that's just, again, part of the, 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 the uh, personal mannerisms that seem to be so endearing to people that, you know, he's, he's seemingly to be this very, very – wise, beneficial young man with so much wisdom and yet at the same time, you know, he, he, he puts off this 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 aura of, of absolute control and danger even. Yes. He's sweet, he's charismatic. I think that's what you share with me then and then he's he's also a kind of quirky and, and there's this winsomeness about him that makes people just want, you know, gotta really, you know, uh settle in with him and, and get to really tolerate him. And because because he has this, this this quirky kind of attitude, people tend mm-hmm. to take tend to round the the sharp edges off of him, don't they? Yep. And I know for the women, I don't know if it was like this for the men at all. In the women's culture, there was very much um, a desire to be known by Zach and to be loved by him. So, you know, there were times I had a roommate and. I really think she she worshipped Zach more than God at times, and that was sad, but, like, she wanted his approval that deeply, and that's not really her fault. That's because of the way he is. She she wanted it so deeply, though, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of women craved his attention, even though it, it wasn't romantic. It wasn't sexual. He was celibate. It wasn't like that, but we just wanted his approval. We wanted to know we were doing a good job. Mm-hmm. We wanted Zach to tell us that. We mm-hmm. wanted the elders to to come to us and tell us that they've seen us grow. Yeah. And that's where I found my value. And I know I did. I found my value mm-hmm. so deeply. And that was part of me leaving. I realized I wasn't there for God anymore. I felt so disconnected from God at the time. Um, and I knew I wanted to be able to 
live on my own eventually. I didn't think I needed to be there anymore. Um, but I didn't want to give up going to church. I didn't want to give up my relationships. I wanted those things still. Right. So, you, still you still definitely believed in the community enough to actually be a very active part of, of its outreach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The things I saw in community, I just thought were beautiful and great. And again, some of them are, but you have to, to know that there's a corruption behind it. There's an evilness behind it. And Zach, kind of like you said, I know that there was one episode where Christy spoke and said that he was like Jesus on stage. And I've never heard something more true. Like he, he is radiant on stage. He knows how to speak and you just, you love him. You watch him talk about God and Jesus, the Bible, you know, even talking about the end times and, and the new age. It, it's just, it's beautiful to watch him. And that makes it even scarier. Um, he's that, he, he's just that manipulative. Yeah. And be, and, in a, and in a place where there are a lot of outcasts and broken people mm-hmm. seeking, seeking significance, seeking approval, uh, uh, Zach and the elders, they essentially, uh, assume father figures. They become, mm-hmm. uh, the confessors. Yes. They, they, they become, uh, the, the most significant individual in their life beyond even their parents. Uh, and you yep. seek their approval. And, and you seek uh-huh. their, their guidance. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what, uh, I'm hearing. And that sounds to me what, what you, what you experienced. Absolutely. And even more so, you know, we're so many people there. They're not speaking to their parents anymore, their families, either because they are divorced and remarried or they're against the community or maybe they're not believers. There's, you know, several reasons. And so even more, you find that in the people around you. Yeah. I didn't see my family much. So then, my mother became somebody different. It became my spiritual mother or my, my sisters, my brother and sisters in Christ. And it almost makes you feel like you don't really even want your family anymore, which is even scarier because that's not thoughts that came from me. It's thoughts that um, were put in me. They were, I was isolated and that was something that I was groomed into. It wasn't something that would have been natural to me to not talk to my sisters and my mom. Right, right. It became just an outgrowth of what your devotion was turned toward, and that was that uh-huh. was towards Zach and the community. Yep. Yeah. And they do it for me and several others that I saw. It's very incremental. They don't do everything at once. They ease you into that, and eventually you just don't even realize that you, you know, I haven't seen my mom in six months. I haven't talked to my sisters. I haven't, you know, I haven't done that at all, and I don't even realize it because they keep you so busy. You are exhausted all the time. It is exhausting to be there. Yeah. Um, but there's no, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of rest actually, which even on Sundays, which was considered communities like day of rest, we go to church and we just do restful things. Even that, um, there was still always like a level of anxiety on those restful days. Like, am I allowed to take a nap? Is it okay if I don't, you know, go hang out with this person? Can I be a, can I do something for myself? And everything that, ever felt like it was for yourself felt like that was wrong yeah yeah so thinking about yourself thinking about your own needs really was something that uh was part of the uh the standards within within um gladstone that were mm-hmm. deemed to be showing how spiritually mm-hmm. questionable you could be if you if you brought anything up about yourself or your needs mm-hmm. or or you know just your own desires sometimes just your own opinions uh, they are, you, you, you knew better than, than to say anything about them, didn't you? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not something, again, it's not really spoken, but you, when you, you come in, you see the culture and there's a lot of observing and watching and learning. You know, I remember like I had a lot of times at dinner, the things we would try to talk about, if it wasn't, um, just, I don't know how to explain it explicitly within these parameters of what was okay. Um, it was considered inappropriate, even if it was yeah. something very normal. Like it's a very, um, I don't know the right word for it, but it, extremist. It's just very extremist. And when you're with a group of people that are, um, people that are mentally ill, vulnerable, broken, those are the people that need their needs met more than anything. And they need to know that they're safe to, to voice those things. Right. And that's God wants to meet our needs and, and he wants those things for us. He doesn't want us to, to deny in a way the point of denial isn't just for denial you know there there's reason and there's good biblical reason to for self-denial at times but it's not just to suffer for no reason and i think community has a lot of suffering for no reason other than just to say that we did that's what the salvation is based upon it's based upon your obedience to your elders it's based upon how quickly you are to rebuke and correct each other and and it's just not it's not a place to grow out of your your mental illness or your, you know, to grow from that, it's, it, it only condemns it more and, and pressures you, you down more. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's one girl that's, I, I think she's still there. She's been there since probably the beginning and she has some mental illness struggles. And I remember we, a lot of people relationally had a hard time with her. And just, we, you know, just relationally, it wasn't anything. I don't think it was a sin issue. I think it was just, personalities don't always mix and that's okay um and zach rebuked her for five hours straight in front of me with my housemates telling her she was evil telling her she was disobedient telling her like just really cruel things and i'm not kidding it was five hours of a conversation just sitting there watching her cry she just cried she did not understand he didn't, I don't believe let's he tried set, to make her understand. Let's set him off on something like that, that kind of tirade. What was, what was his, what was the, um, the, 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 the precipitating event? I'm trying to remember. I know that, um, I think it came down to an obedience thing from what I remember. Um, it was an obedience thing to the house leadership. I think there was something she just didn't think she should have to do. I don't think it was a big deal from what I remember. Like, I remember feeling alarmed looking at Zach, like, what? This is a really strong reaction. And it made, I remember that day I thought to myself, I will never, I will never do anything that will make, that will give him reason to speak to me that way. I will be so good. Yeah. I will, I will behave. Like it, it didn't make me want to leave and made me more scared. Yeah. Um, and she, she cried and she just cried and cried. And I remember it took her a few days. She was kind of silent. She was one of my roommates. And after a few days, she sent us all an email, and she repented for whatever she quote-unquote did wrong. Mm. And I I just, I mean, I just can't see any reason to ever sit there for five hours and tell someone who has the Holy Spirit, has the love of God, and tell them that they're evil. I don't think that that's godly. I think that is that is cruel. It was it was heartbreaking to watch her. And she, again, she's she has a lot of mental illness herself. And so it only tore her down more. It only added to the anxiety. It only made her doubt herself more instead of building her up. And this is a public uh, admonition he gave. Yep. It was in front of me. And I think there was probably six or seven of us living in the house at that time. It was all of our housemates in Zach. Okay. 
So you're all in, so he actually came and paid a visit to your house and, yep, and actually went ahead and, and for five hours verbally pistol whipped this woman. Yes. Yes. I wow. she she didn't say much from what I remember. She just she just took it. I'm her face you could tell she she was hurting. I think you could tell she was also angry, but she didn't know what to do with it. Um but she just took it and just cried. Okay. And that, that was the longest one of those talks that I'd been a part of, but that wasn't, I wouldn't say that was totally uncommon. Those really harsh rebukes. Um, Zach love, and again, like as time went on, I saw more of him, more of his control. I remember going on a trip. We went to the Bible museum. Um, it was about 15 of us. Um, and I was one of those people that got to go and Zach went and Zach goes on every trip um, to every country, every place he gets to go. And I remember it's something so small. Me and one of the guys, we went to go get a Mountain Dew out of the fridge. And community has a really strict culture with food, too. Like, you can't, you know, if you drink two sodas in a day, suddenly you're idolizing soda. Like, it's very sensitive to those things. So (laughs) we and him went to go get a soda, and I think it was kind of later in the evening. And Zach looked at us both and said, no, put it back. And I was like, what? And he was like, put it back right now. And I looked at, I looked at the other guy, his name was Josh. And he was, and he like kind of said like, okay. And we both put him back in the fridge. And I remember I was shaking. I didn't understand like what I'd done wrong. And that's not a sin issue. (laughs) That's a soda. So that just showed like, that was just one small moment. Um, I remember the next day on that same trip, it was, it was kind of chilly outside, but I run hot, so I didn't want to wear a jacket. And he, Zach, told me I had to wear a jacket. And I was like, oh, I'm not cold, though. I'm okay. Like, oh, no, I'm fine. He's like, go put a jacket on right now. Go back inside. And I had to go do it. And I had no choice in the mat. And it was just bizarre. I'd never been like, it, it felt like just like I, abusive father, I think, is kind of the energy it gave me. Yeah. Um, that's like how it felt. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? Like I, I just never had that interaction with him. And that would have been in 2019. So I'd been there a couple of years at that point. Right. 2019. Wow. So you started seeing all these things and, and there's a point at which you accepted them as norms. Mm-hmm. You accepted mm-hmm. these extreme behaviors, these violations of privacy uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, this sort of, uh, activity as just part of what you should do to be a, to be a Christian, to be part of a community. And I think you, I think as you said, there's a powerful motivation to make sure you fit in, uh, to the group because these were the people who, these, these people you were living among, who were your new friends, who were your mm-hmm. new family, they were living mm-hmm. by them. It was unquestioned among them. It was just sec- it was just second nature to them to just go along with the, with the flow and that and and accept some of these things that were at standing apart individuals. They're all outrageous. Mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Yep. It's, it's yep, and it's, it's it's weird methods of control too. And I and I think it goes so under the radar with a lot of people that they don't even realize it because we're so used to it. Um, and again. There's a lot of like the elders are there. They have great personalities, so you just wanna you wanna please them. You wanna impress them. Um, I think some other concerns I'd had because I had several times throughout my three years there where I felt pushed over the edge and I wanted to leave. But the way I wanted to leave felt so like I felt enraged, and I would I would basically just convince myself like no, I shouldn't leave in rage. 
that's not right. Like I need to work through my emotions and mm-hmm. maybe I'll feel differently. Yeah. And every time I would convince myself out of it. Um, I remember there's, there's two instances where I had, um, I had my house pastor at the Magdalene and she shared something with me, correcting me. And I, and I, I told her, I said, I don't think this is a sin issue. I think that you're just annoyed with me actually. And it was the first time I'd spoken up like that against her, but like she, it wasn't a sin issue. She was bothered by the way I did something. And I was like, I just think you're, you're bothered by the way I did that, but I don't think I've sinned. And she sent me downstairs to what was, we had, we had a prayer closet and she said, you can go down to the prayer closet and you can stay there until you're ready to, to be obedient. And I had to go sit, I was down there for over an hour um, just crying and I was shaking and I was so angry. And then that was the first time I, I had a, a two hour panic attack that night. I went back upstairs to go talk to them and I wasn't going to, I told, I knew I was like, I'm not going to repent because I don't think I've done anything, but I'm going to try to talk about it. And the moment I tried to open my mouth, I had a panic attack and it, and it went on for between an hour, two hours and they, they didn't even know what to do. Um, and that's just how scared I was. That's how scared I was to speak my mind and speak up against what I thought was right and wrong. It caused me to have a panic attack the first time I tried to do it. Um, and then a, another situation um, that I can recall just, and this is just kind of general different experiences I had. Um, I And I think I shared this with you when we first began talking, but I had a, so I had a boss and I was on the only team within the church that was co-ed, both genders. Um, that was hard for me because I really liked the female discipleship. I wanted to be discipled by my friends. I wanted that relationship. That's who I had fun with. That's who I felt like I could grow with. Um, so they assigned my boss to be um, a man who is a registered sex offender who, in his story, um, he raped his own stepdaughter. And I, my sexual abuse history, I had a sexual abuse from my stepfather and that was so triggering for me. And I had to see him every day, all day. I had to be with him every day, all day. Um, and it was so confusing to me because community, the way it's structured, you can't be alone with another man. You can't go on a car ride. You know, if it was raining and if a guy saw me walking in the rain and he wanted to drive me home, they wouldn't, that would be inappropriate. Um, it's not acceptable. It's black and white like that. Um, and, um, I was allowed to be with alone with John anytime. Um, I could be alone with him. I, they would have me take him to the grocery store cause he didn't have a license and I did. Um, so they would have me drive him to the grocery store, which seems normal, but it, it was so uncomfortable because that was the one situation I didn't want to be in, but that was the one situation I had to be in. Yeah. Um, I told them I voiced it. That was, I would go to the elders. I would go to two of the elders specifically that were in mine and John's life. And I'm like, Hey, I'm uncomfortable. This is triggering. And instead of saying, Oh, let's take you out of a triggering situation. It was, you need to work through that with God. John, he's a good man. He's an older man. You need to respect him because he's older. You need to respect him because he's your boss. And that I, I, He's a sex offender. He's a registered sex offender. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, there's obviously there's forgiveness in Christ, but that doesn't mean we need to be unsafe. And Absolutely. I didn't feel safe. Yeah. I didn't feel safe. There are children at that church. He wasn't allowed to interact with them much. 
but I don't know the legalities at all, but he, he, I didn't feel safe. He made me uncomfortable. He would send me love songs at night, like country love songs. He would, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a phone for two years, but I had an iPod touch that had the iMessage app on it. And I could use that a little bit, um, only with community members though. And he would send me, um, from Apple music, he would send me love songs about country, like country music love songs, which made me uncomfortable. He would send me, um, texts at midnight, which wasn't appropriate in general. So I don't know why he was allowed to. Um, I remember once I did something that he was really proud of me. Um, I cooked something really well, I think. And he grabbed my face and he kissed me on the forehead. And I just remember it was such a wet kiss and there, it was so uncomfortable. It was the most uncomfortable I'd been. And I went and I shared it with my house pastor and she was concerned and she went to her, she went to one of the elders. They didn't do anything about it. And even she was concerned. She's like, that's weird. That's not comfortable. Um, and anybody that's at least left will tell you like the relationship that was between me and John was inappropriate and it was weird and it wasn't normal. But it was publicly seen. It was well publicly known. Publicly seen. Everyone well known, knew. Yes. I mean, in that kind of place, like, like Gladstone, uh, uh, I, I don't imagine people sit on things. They see people doing things. Uh, mm-hmm. and if, if they see people doing things that, you know, uh, are questionable, I mean, th- th- it'll be no- at the very minute, at the very least noticed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so you had this guy here running around all over the place. You, you're taking him to his grocery stores and, and being alone and he's intermingling with you in such mm-hmm. a way that is clearly, clearly inappropriate and, and mm-hmm. beyond the boundaries. And you're telling me also that he's also, he, he didn't, interact with children much but he did at some point have access to them and which he could have yes i mean he would attend church services children would be at church um they'd come to lunch every day this the homeschool came to lunch every day he would serve lunch every day to them um like he was definitely had access to children every day even if he was never one-on-one or alone with them in fact we even um we would do certain classes with the kids and um, he would be a part of that too. So me and him leading class with the kids, um, teaching them how to properly wash dishes, how to sanitize counters, how to cook a basic meal, you know, trying to teach them how to serve, serve each other and serve their families and friends. And, and that was, you know, at the time I remember thinking it like wondering, is this okay? But I never asked. Yeah. It just, it just goes to show you just how in, in, incredibly, uh, authoritarian a movement can be and deem that the rules and the regulations of the outside world just don't just don't apply there i mean mm-hmm. you may, and you mentioned the fact a moment ago that you said that that, that uh, you should be forgiving and you should be tolerant uh was that ever something that would came up in your discussions with with him about about john about about who he was yeah yeah every time they would um, I remember at least a couple times I was accused of just bringing up his past and not being forgive, forgiving of his past. And, um, yeah, that was a conversation every time I was the issue. It was me. It wasn't that John was doing anything inappropriate. It's that I can't forgive him for what he did or that I'm um, projecting my trauma onto him. He's never done anything to me, you know. And And while everything that happened might, you know, from the scope of things seem small, when as someone who's a survivor who's you know that it, uh, somebody that's been a victim that it's not okay 
and it's not safe and it's not even admirable that they don't want to take care of each other correctly. Mm. Um, The elders would rather sweep it under the rug, pretend it's not happening, than provide real care for for the women there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Even though offenders are not to be near schools or children, apparently that, mm-hmm. that that's a rule that doesn't matter in, in the world of glass. Exactly. Exactly. They they care more about covering it up, I think, than they do about the actual children. If something ever happens to any of those kids, that is on them. That's yeah. they, that's blood on their hands and that is that's heartbreaking to think about. Was he the only sex offender there or any, or were there other people there who you might suspect they might have gone in his direction? Um, he's the only one I know of. However, um, I mean, it would be surprising if he was the only one at all. I could say that there's probably a lot of people that, that, um, have a sin of potential pedophilia because there's a lot of men coming from pure life ministries and, you know, some of them, the, the sin issue would have been homosexuality or just sex in general. But I do know that that ministry caters to people that, um, sin in like, are pedophiles or have those desires, even if they've never acted on them, maybe they're not registered, right. but it would be really hard to believe that none of them um, had that struggle. Cause we had so many men from pure life coming in and out. And pure life graduates that came out uh, were, were, were mm-hmm. obviously men that, that perhaps very much were involved with that. And, and it was not mm-hmm. knowledge of who did what. I'm, I'm exactly. So, yes. Wow. You just, you just knew they were from pure life and they already had the taint on them, but, but we forgave them. And it's perfectly fine for them to mingle among uh, in the way they have. That's wow. That's incredible. Exactly. Because exactly. It says, it says a lot about 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 the depth to which Gladstone will will gladly confer to to people who probably shouldn't even be there uh, a room in trying to be inclusive. They're trying to be Christian. They're trying to be forgiving. Yet at the same time, uh, they won't respect the laws about what what is really serious wisdom in protecting people from one another sometimes what they do. Wow. Mm-hmm. Unreal. And what's what's even more interesting, so when I the day that I chose to leave, um, I actually wasn't trying to leave that day. I basically asked Zach if I could put in my two weeks with the food ministry, um, and asked if I could basically start working to move out. And that conversation, um, pretty similar to some of the other stories, he told me I was evil cruel, very much like flipped the switch on me. Um, they told me that day that I was going to be disfellowshipped, that nobody was going to be reaching out to me, that I was out of the family, um, which that was really painful, but funny enough. So nobody has spoken to me. Nobody has responded to me except John. He, um, he would write my emails. He got my cell phone number and would reach out to me on my phone. Um, and the, even most recently, like he's reached out to me as soon as July and they don't know that he's doing that. Um, and so I've since, um, you know, somebody has been an advocate and reached out to the community and said he needs to stop reaching out to her. Cause that's the one person I don't want to hear from. Um, and he's the only person that, you know, weirdly enough is willing to break that rule that we can't talk to Samantha. Um, but he's willing to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's, it's called, it goes it goes without saying within calls that, that that like I said, rules are made to be followed by those who uh, really don't count, those who really aren't in, in positions of leadership. Whereas rules by uh, rules under leaders are meant to be broken and meant to be ignored because they because they rise above them. 
they feel like uh, that in many instances that uh, that the rules don't apply to them whatsoever mm-hmm. when it comes to their own activity. It's it's the classic distinction between between uh, the ordinary the ordinary person at the bottom of the of the hierarchy and those at the top of the food chain. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they 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 enjoy a, a, a privilege and a place of, of responsibility and are accorded honors that the other people wouldn't. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm so sorry I had to deal with all this. What, what what led you up to finally making that? I mean, you said you that's the day you left. But what was leading you? Uh, what was the one thing that really made you really think I, I just need to get out of here? Yeah, I, I, so I actually. Yep. The day before that, so I left, I think on a, okay, so I left on a Monday. That's the Saturday before that. Um, my sister Katie had reached out to me and basically said like, Hey, my best friend Morgan's getting married. Would you want to come out tonight, get dinner, hang out with us? She, you haven't seen her in years. Like, and that was just her attempt at trying to spend time with me. And I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to do that. And for whatever reason that day, like I said, I want to go. So I, I actually, I lied to my leadership and told them, well, I wouldn't say I fully lied. I told them I was going to get dinner with my sister. I didn't include that it was going to be with her friends because I knew that that would draw the line. Um, they would have been fine with me going to a one-on-one dinner because that could be an evangelism opportunity. But if I was just trying to have a social event with anyone outside of the community, that was not okay. So I, I didn't include that. I knew that her friends would be there and I went, I went out to dinner. Um, I got to see the people that I hadn't seen in years, people that were my friends that I was close to. I had so much fun. And when I left at the end of the night, I was like, I didn't do any of the things that they've always told me I would do. You know, Mm -hmm. they always accused me of going back into this extreme party lifestyle that I had in college. I didn't, you know, and not even that drinking is a sin, but for the way community was with me any kind of like drinking was an issue with me. Um, they wouldn't let me, I couldn't have a glass of wine, even though I've never been an alcoholic, but um, I wasn't allowed. And I didn't even have a drink. I didn't do any of the things they told me that would happen. It wasn't catastrophic. It wasn't scary. I still felt close to God and I got to see my friends. And so I'm like, that felt more normal. That feels more like a life I could have. I could still go to church. I can have a relationship with God and I can have a relationship with these other people. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I went home that night and I couldn't get it out of my head. I just knew I was like, I really loved seeing my sister. I loved being able to just, I felt free. That was the first time I felt myself in so long. Um, and I, the next day I called my mom. I was like, Hey, I, I think I want to, I think I want to come home, but I'm still kind of working it out right now. And she, inside, she was so excited. She was screaming. She was screaming with joy because she, she knew that I was in a cult, but I wasn't ready to face it. And, she, but externally, she's like, okay, yeah, like, just let me know what you need. And, you know, it's okay either way, trying to like, just play it, play it neutral. Um, but inside, she was like, oh my goodness, I cannot get wait, wait to go pick up my daughter. Couldn't be soon enough. And I told her, I thought it would be probably another two weeks before I would actually move out. Um, the next day is when I sat down with Zach and that's when he, again, flipped the switch on me. Um, I asked if I could still come to church. I asked if I could still be discipled. I wanted to still continue relationship. I just wanted to have somewhat more of a, what I would call a normal life. Um, I wanted the freedom to have a relationship if I wanted one. I wanted to be able to do things that aren't against, you know, God necessarily and, you know, they, they won't let anybody get married there. Nobody can get married. 
and marriage is from God. So, um, all of those things, it just made me, it made me want to go. And Zach made me leave that night. He told me to pack my bag. Um, he told me I had, he told me that I was choosing myself over Jesus and that I was selfish, that I was evil, that I would go to hell. And I remember he said, do you know that, that you're going to have eternal, 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 um, how did he word it? Eternal fire, eternal pain. Like that's how he worded it. And I'm, and I, and I just looked at him. I was crying. I was so confused. I I don't know exactly what I said. I think I might've said, if if that's what you think this is, I, I guess I can just accept it. And he was like, okay, you can tell all of your housemates then you can tell them, you can tell them that you were choosing yourself over Jesus. And he called all my housemates and called them home that night. Um, and I, I just said exactly that. I said, yeah, I I guess I'm choosing myself over Jesus. I want to go home. And they all cried and I cried and it was really painful. Um, I had nothing. I didn't have money. I didn't have a car. I, the phone I had was a flip phone that they gave me. Um, and they took it back. So I got to call my mom and that was it. And luckily she doesn't live far away and she's very kind and loving. So she, she immediately came to get me. Um, but I, I had nothing to come home to. I, and, and that was really painful. I, and I didn't have the friends that I just spent the last three years with. And I didn't know if I was going to have any friends to come home to. Those weren't my friends anymore. They didn't talk to me anymore. Um, I didn't talk to them anymore. There was no relationship. So, um, I was really lucky in the sense that once I got home, got comfortable, um, you know, I just, my, I remember I slept in my mom's bed the first few nights with her. I was so scared. Um, I was the the drive home. I was crying, begging. I was praying out loud, begging God to not kill us in a car accident. And that I was sorry for leaving community. Um, and that, and that, that, that was so painful. I truly, my mom was rubbing my leg and she's like, sweetie, nothing's going to happen. Okay. God is not going to kill you for this. And I really believed that. And it took about two weeks for me to stop being afraid of dying. And that's when I started to to see like, okay, nothing's happening to me. Maybe God's not going to condemn me like Zach said. Maybe that's not real. And I started, that's when I started realizing more of the the cult thoughts. Um, I still, the first two weeks, it was like, oh, wow, I'm in sin and I don't know how to get out of it. And now I can't even go back because they won't take me. Um, and then after that first two weeks, I started having some clarity. I was able to get a hold of my therapist um, that I'd been seeing before, and she very quickly got me got me on her schedule, and that was kind of where I was able to start processing actually what happened. Um, mm-hmm. And that three years there felt so fast; um, it just felt like I got blindsided. It happened so fast, and I didn't even realize it. It it just happened. I was like, "Wow, I'm turning 24." Like. It just felt like my life just kind of like took a pause and picked back up. It was, it's very strange feeling going there and then coming back into the real world. Mm, yeah. But you do, but you knew you needed to leave and you knew that now was the time. And in any case, they'd kicked you out. They expelled you. And so they, yeah. so that the choice was made once again for you that you were unworthy. Mm-hmm. And of course, that was, uh, and of course, you were warned in the most drastic of theological terms that, uh, you are, you're this child of Satan bent for hell who's, uh, turning her back on the only true community on the earth and all kinds of other 
bogus mm. stuff. And how many of the friends that you look that you cared about that that were that you were there for? How many of them really do you think really believed that about you? Because just because you wanted to go home, that suddenly that made you a, a monster. To do you think any of them really still labor with that with that uh, struggle? Did it, any of them? Maybe say to you, maybe, hey, I, I wish I could go home too. Or, I mean, what was that moment like? I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to belabor yeah. the point, but, but that point of relationship, uh, that was so valuable, so, so much what you treasured. Um, did they relate to you in any way, shape, or form? Um, I know, I, I'd like to believe there's at least a few people that are there that, that, that know me and know that that wouldn't be true. Um, I had one friend that is still there who we had private conversations. We both struggled with wanting to leave at times. And I remember a few weeks before I left, she asked, she was, she wanted to leave. And I, I said, you know, I can't even tell you not to because I really don't know what's right anymore. Um, sometimes I want to leave too. And I, I'm not going to tell you, tell you not to think that way. I don't, I don't have the answer. Um, so I think that there's at least a couple people, but I think overall, um, the people that weren't, um, my closest friends, they probably b- believe it. They probably believe I just went back to my, to my old life of just sin and hatefulness and whatever they may think about me. Um, but I, I've had one friend that has since left and I remember she called me and we just talked about it. She's like, when I saw the email that you left, like, I just was so confused. I didn't even understand. And that was so um, healing for me to get to like, talk to her because she'd been there longer than me and she left and she's like, and we got to reconnect and we're still friends. And we text pretty often. We we've seen each other a few times and, and that's really sweet to get to still have that. I have that friendship that she understands what it was in there. And she, Mm. she understands what it's like to, to not be there now and to have a life where you still love God and you still can um, pursue certain things. You can use your talents. You can have a personality. Um, they strip you of all of that there. They strip you of your individualism. They strip you of any ability to, to thrive on your own. Um, mm, yeah. They stop, they prevent people mm. from going to college and getting degrees and good careers that they want, that they're capable of having that maybe God would have really built a way for them in that. Um, there's people that love to, to do art and they, they can't do art because they need to do work for the kingdom. And, and there's just things that I, it just, it's too far. It's not from God. It's, God doesn't take away the things that we love. He doesn't, he gives us talent. He gives us skill. He gives us hobbies and joy. He gives us yeah. things, things to love being on earth. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so, so where are you at now? So you've, I, I, I take it you've embraced that and understood that. You do, you, you know, you're, you're not so bad after all. You're, 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 you're a warm, intelligent person who, who, who has a lot to give to the world and, and, and has, has gifts. Where are you at with it now? I know you've been, you said you've been going back to therapy, which is great. I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, what, what do you think your next step to be? Do you maybe go back to school or something? I mean, it's, well, yeah, I've thought about it. I have, so I was really lucky. I actually have a pretty nice job. I work in a clinical lab. Um, and it's gone really well for me. I've been promoted a couple times. Um, I have a pretty strong work ethic, which has helped me a lot to, you know, I, I didn't get to finish my degree at UC the way I originally planned, but I was still able to find work pretty quickly and make money. Um, I 
had to live with my mom for about a year and then I was able to get my own place. Um, so now I've thought about school. I've thought about finishing my journalism degree. Um, I'd still like to, but I think that, um, that's one place I still struggle. I still have that voice in my head that just tells me I shouldn't. And that's been, that's something I think with time I'll, I'll figure the answer to, but, um, I'm happy and that's been really sweet. Yeah. I'm happy and I've had more peace than I've ever had in my life. And I remember hearing God's voice telling me, you're, you're okay. I've got you. And I remember him telling me that, especially like when I would lay in bed at night by myself at my mom's house. Um, and I would just hear his voice and I, I found so much comfort in that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause he's real. He, he is mm-hmm. someone that will speak. God never stops speaking. And, they, and that's the tragic thing that so many people fail to realize is that, that, uh, if a cult leader can hear from God, then there's no reason for you to believe you can't either. You know, mm-hmm. God has no shortage of ways of speaking to us. And, uh, mm-hmm. but they, but you're just successfully persuaded to believe that they're the only ones who can hear from God and they mm-hmm. hear the best from God. So therefore they should be able at that point, be able to go ahead and at that point, you know, know mm-hmm. exactly how to live. And, and I am, I'm so glad to hear that you've, mm-hmm. um, you've made that decision to move beyond all that. So yeah. And, and so it's, it's a daily process, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, I still, I still get a lot of anxiety. I have pretty routine panic attacks still because of just the residual effects of being there. Um, and, you know, luckily I have a lot of ways that I can cope with those things and I'm aware of it now. Um, but it's, it's still hard. I still am, I would say daily affected by my life at Gladstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it'll ever fully, you know, it's, it's a part of who I am now. It's a part of who I, who I was and who I am. And I, I have to carry that in some ways, but I'm still excited to keep like unraveling my own personality again, because again, they squash that and I'm still just, it feels like I'm just scratching the surface of, of finding myself and finding my purpose in life, my purpose with God. Um, and it's just, it's been really sweet to know that it's not going to just be isolated to my life there forever that I, I can do, I can do a lot and I can be happy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exciting. Yeah. And it's truly God's will for that. I believe in the scriptures uh, tell us that, you know, we, we certainly can expect that. Of them. I mean, God is someone that does care for us and, it's unfortunately when men get involved that the mess gets really, that the mess, uh, mm-hmm. begins to really start to bogging you down. Uh, one of the things that I, I love to, to share, and I'm, and, and as I'm wrapping it up, I'm just going to read, just read a verse of scripture that I think really speaks to the experience that people have in Gladstone and other places like that, Xenos and Remnant Fellowship and all the other cults of, of people that people that we've worked with over the years. Every one of them have experienced the same thing. This exact same moment of, 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 of discord and terror that, 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 uh, we read in, in scripture that God really definitely hates to see inflicted in his name. He says in Ezekiel chapter 34, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slar the fatlings, but you don't feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost with force and cruelty. You have ruled them. And I think that speaks loudly to how God feels when he sees people operating in his name to shepherd his people turn mm-hmm. to absolute taskmasters and, and vicious, uh, vicious oppressors. And mm-hmm. that in essence is what the cult experience really is, comes down to. God, God's seen it. He's, he's, he's certainly not blind to it all. And here we have an account of, of, of what, of how he saw the shepherds of Israel, you know, over 1200, 1500 years ago. Uh, actually longer, let's see, uh, yeah, 2000, uh, 20, almost 3000 years ago. This is, this is, this is where, this is how old the scripture is. Yeah. And here he's seeing very clearly, I am again, he goes on to say, uh, my, you know, behold, I'm against the shepherds. I'm going to require my flock at their hands. I'm going to cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths. The day is coming with people in, in Gladstone uh, that, that, and, and other places in which I believe the, the power of God and his will show that uh, he wants to see people rescued out of that place. And he wants mm-hmm. to see them come to, to, to an understanding of, of, of his care and his desire. And part of that is not to turn you into a clone, not to make mm-hmm. you a robot, not turn you mm-hmm. into, this, into this victim where you're constantly being victimized by 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 uh, oppressive people who could potentially harm you. I mean, God's care is is that loving. He's still the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He still wants to lead people, and I'm glad that uh, his leading has has apparently been upon you most most strongly. I'm so glad that that you've been there. So, so in in, in closing, uh, that's part of the scripture I want to share with anyone uh, to, to consider. Uh, that 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 is how we know. There are people who I understand walk away from God and scripture and, and I get that, but, but, but they're losing so much. Uh, there's so much to recover there that they, and, and this is, I think, a verse that maybe speaks to what God wants to do in people's lives. Not, and he doesn't want to see people ever get under that kind of control again. That's, that's definitely not against his will. Uh, in closing, um, Samantha, uh, what we'd like to do is we usually give people who, who are on our, on our interviews, a chance to maybe speak uh, for themselves and then with a closing thought. And maybe, maybe there's people that might be listening at Gladstone. Uh, I'm sure that the elders and Zach and the rest of them are certainly going to be listening. Uh, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that they've already been tracking and all that and doing all they can. To, mm-hmm. But, but perhaps there's, you know, and that's, and they're beyond, you're, you're beyond, okay? Uh, you, they can't, they can't touch you. But maybe there's mm-hmm. people, maybe there's relationships, maybe there's some, some folks there that maybe you'd like to send a message to, or, or to our audience here, uh, maybe just something you'd like to say as, as a closing thought that would help us, uh, help us really get a better perspective on, on what's going on and, and what you'd like to say. It, it's, this, this is a purely personal time. I, I'm going to give you the floor for the last few minutes here. Yeah, thank you. That, you know, if there's anything I could say to anybody there, you know, I, there's even specific individuals, um, Emily, I, I love you. You're my friend. Um, I'm not the things that they said, 
And I hope that you can find life outside of there. And anybody that's, that is listening, the people that are outside of community that are trying to do anything, it is because we love you guys and we want you guys to have a life, um, a life in Christ that is good and full and isn't under control. And that can be had. Um, I have a lot of people that I think of specifically that I love and I miss. Um, I think about you guys all daily. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that you guys don't see this as an act of trying to persecute and take down. That's not what we're doing. We are extending love and we are showing you that there, there's more than what, than what I think everyone's realizing there's happening. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's all I could really say. I we miss you guys. It's all out of love and care for you and for God. Right. Fantastic. Thank you so very, very much, Samantha, for, for coming on today to share with us. And if there are others out there who uh, would like perhaps to get more information about Gladstone, a, a website was just started. I'm happy to make an announcement of that now. Uh, it's called gladstoneexposed.com and there's a link on there to get help. Uh, if you, if you knew, or someone you know is affected by Gladstone and you're looking for help, please don't hesitate to reach out. And, uh, the people behind this website are the very people you're talking about. They're wonderful, mm-hmm. godly, precious people. They're not sinful rebellion. They're not, in, they're not in sinful rebellion. They're not these horrible monsters. Uh, they are people with consciences, people who love God. People who have found that, that you can love God and serve Him outside the, the womb of Gladstone. And, and that is something that, I, that they want to perhaps help you with. If, if you're struggling, if you have any questions, uh, and you, you, maybe you just want to sound off, hey, give them, give them, give them a visit at GladstoneExposed.com. And if you'd like to also maybe get spiritual help also from, from our own ministry, Spirit Watch Ministries, uh, you can reach us at help. At spiritwatch.org. Uh, that's an email box we monitor and we've gotten, a, that's been almost wore out the past few months from, from all the, uh, use we've gotten from many people who've been writing to us and, 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 and wanting help and wanting to share. And, and, uh, we just want people to know. And I think Samantha and I agree. We, we want people to know there's life beyond Gladstone. There's a big, mm-hmm. beautiful life beyond it. And, and, and as, as the old saying goes, one's future is, is as bright as the promises of God. And, 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 and he does make promises. There are specific things he means for us to live by and therefore anyone that wants to take mm-hmm. a hold of them. Thank you once again, Samantha. And it's great having you on today. We hope to have you on real, real soon. Yep. Thank you, Raphael. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going? prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org and if you need urgent personal spiritual help email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.